Hey, Alpaca Pals. As you know, we are on break right now. We're keeping super busy getting season four of the show ready to launch on October 6th. But in the meantime, we wanted to surprise you with another bonus episode. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Amanda Kendall, and we hope you're excited for season four of the show to launch. So I'm here today with Amanda Kendall from the Thoughtful Travel Podcast. You might remember Amanda from right at the start of the pandemic when you and I connected and we recorded our first episode together. And that was like over a year ago now. Yeah, it must have been. Gosh, and so much has happened since then. We know so much so more. Much. I know. So, And that's actually what we're going to talk about a bit today because Amanda and I were emailing recently and we were just sort of chatting about her experience in Australia throughout the pandemic and how she's feeling about travel. And I was talking about Katie and I's experience here in Canada. And we thought it'd be fun to connect and talk about that together, just to like get a sense of how the world has changed, how it's looking in other parts of the world compared to some others. But before we get started, why don't you tell us about your podcast? Well, I have now hit um, over five years of running the Thoughtful Travel podcast. And so it is um, kind of amazing that I still have so many topics that I still want to talk about. So it seems never ending. Yeah, it's been going really well. You know, I was really concerned at the beginning of the pandemic that running a travel podcast was a or continuing to run it was a crazy idea. I'm sure you've had the same thought. Uh, but it's um, it's been a really wonderful thing to continue and to have people reminiscing about their past travels and, you know, starting to think about how we'll travel differently in the future. So things are going really well. We had the same, like, moment of crisis when we really debated whether, like, it was worth our time anymore, whether people would want to be, like, hearing about travel. But it's gone pretty well for us, too. And it's been kind of nice to, like, take a step back and use the podcast to, like, think through some ideas about travel, like, while I'm not actually traveling, I think sometimes when I'm traveling a lot, like these ideas get kind of like pushed to the wayside. So it's been a nice like kind of break. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, in many ways, the pandemic has helped us to slow down. And even though I didn't want to slow down my travel in any way, it you know, at least during that pause, I've been able to, yeah, really kind of think back and be grateful that I have no regrets. I don't have trips I wished I'd taken. You know, I took every opportunity I could. Yeah, I'm looking forward to someday in the future traveling again. That's for sure. Yeah. I have to ask you because this is something that Lucas and I have been debating a lot lately. The first or the last big trip that we did, like before the pandemic started, um, was our nine month trip around Asia. And We've been talking about whether like that will ever be a possibility again. We think it will like to travel that way, like will be a possibility again someday. But we're wondering like when, because it doesn't feel right now like it would be even logistically possible to just like like we did last time, fly into Vietnam and backpack for a few weeks and then decide, mm, let's fly here because now it's just so much more complicated and there's so much more to think about when you're making your travel decisions. And so I'm curious your thoughts on that. Like, do you think there's going to be a future where people can travel so freely like that again? <sighs> Look, I really hope so, but I 
I agree with you. It's certainly not soon. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of my friends who are based in Europe just trying to take relatively short trips around Europe and the logistics involved in in making sure they have appropriate uh, tests and stuff before and after and during and booking things, even, you know, with here within Australia, being prepared that things will, you know, get locked down again overnight or while people are in the air, a city gets locked down and they get forced to turn around. And I think across Southeast Asia, it's going to take even longer before things are really stable and it might be possible that you can travel, but will you want to in certain ways? Will it be mm -hmm. safe enough for you? So, I mean, I think eventually, yes, but definitely not in the near future to be able to just, you know, the, the good old days where you could just like not have a plan. Yeah. like And oh, such a wonderful way to travel. But I think it's a while before we can reliably, safely do that for sure. Yeah. It breaks my heart, though, because oh, me too. that is my favorite way to travel. <laughs> It makes me think there may have been some truth to the people who have been saying that the golden age of travel was sort of that like period right up to the pandemic. Like that was like the most freedom we had in travel, probably. I mean, like for people of privilege um, to be able to travel like ever in the world. Yeah, I think that that could have been the golden age of travel. I just I would love to think we're wrong. But even if I think about how it's tra it's changed since when I was like in my early 20s and traveling and I feel a little bit like it makes me sound kind of old, but make, I feel like that was a bit of the golden age because it was pre-smartphone and stuff and we didn't have, you couldn't book, you couldn't do anything. You just turned up and you maybe you had a guidebook and you just fumbled your way around everywhere and there was something really magical about doing that. Okay, I know I'm younger than you, but I did actually get to experience that a few times I'm glad for you. I had a smart <laughs> smartphone. I'm a 90s baby. So I got to my first trip. I was 18 and I went to Europe and I didn't have a phone and I didn't have a laptop. And it was literally like I would go on the hostel computer and draw a map to how I would get to my next hostel. And I would have this hand-drawn map and be like wandering around a European city and I'd email my parents like once every two or three weeks and tell them I was alive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was really amazing. I but wish we could the, go back The to freedom that. of that. Like I could never imagine in the future allowing my son or not allowing, but even, you know, I would have this expectation of my son once he's that age that he would be in touch really frequently because it's so yeah. easy. And also when you don't have a smartphone and stuff, you just end up talking to heaps more people. You know, you're wandering around with your map and your map's actually drawn really badly. And so you have to ask yeah. people and <laughs> And, you know, you just get get into, you know, these conversations with local people or you have to ask for advice of where should I stay or where should I eat because you don't have the info. And I love that golden age. <laughs> yeah. I still have a notebook somewhere with all these maps that I drew. And it's funny because if you flip through it, you can see me getting progressively lazier with like... <laughs> the directions like it gets to a point where I'm just drawing lines and I'm like oh I'll just count the roads from the train station <laughs> no names on roads or forget. anything <laughs> yeah I was like somewhere in Spain and I was lost for like four hours like could not find the hostel because <laughs> this map I'd drawn was just like it was just lines it was completely useless that's hilarious I thought you were going to say you got progressively better during the trip but no, no you lazier. would think so <laughs> I just cared less and less well also you probably lost the fear of getting lost as well because you yeah. you've learned that it, it always works out somehow so yeah but I wanted to ask how life has been in Australia throughout this pandemic because I know it's been pretty different from our experience here in Ontario 
Yeah, I think in Australia it's been different to pretty much the rest of the world, except perhaps from New Zealand. So we locked down and locked our borders very early in the pandemic. And of course, we have this advantage of being very distant and an island. And so we can do that. And we were lucky in the very, you know, the early stages we didn't get, um, we didn't have, um, we had very few COVID cases come in. And then since then, we've had our international borders essentially completely closed. So it's very hard to leave Australia. Um, it's or even hard to come back if you've been living abroad. Uh, I still have friends living abroad who've not been able to get back to Australia in, you know, like over a year of, of trying. So it's not great. But because of that, for most of the pandemic, we had kind of the luxury of normal life. We just couldn't leave Australia. We had state borders closed from time to time. Like I did try and visit my friend in Sydney at, at Christmas time. And of course, just before we, you know, a week or two before we were going to leave, cases started over there and our state border closed again. And so I couldn't go. So I actually haven't, I haven't even been on a plane um, since um, January 2020. Unfortunately, this good situation has led to a bit of complacency and uh also i don't know it's a bit a bit hard to be sure exactly what happened but uh our government seems to have not been too good on procuring um vaccinations as a result the rollout of vaccinations here has been really really slow now we have in new south wales a, so one of the, the largest most populous state of australia where sydney is we have quite a bad um covid situation especially by australian standards i think there's about 4000 cases in sydney now they've been in quite a serious lockdown for about 6 weeks with no sign of that um improving almost hard to keep track because various states and cities keep going in and out of lockdown quite quickly. So Melbourne's in lockdown again, parts of Queensland, all our borders, like we can't, from Western Australia, we can travel nearly nowhere again. Uh, And our vaccinations rate's really low. So I looked it up just so I could tell you, and it's like 17% at the moment. Whoa. So for a long time, there's this table in our in our national paper, one of the national papers, where it compares where we're ranked uh, compared to all the OECD countries. And for months we've been 38 out of 38 like the lowest ranking in terms of vaccination rates which is really really embarrassing we have crept up to 35th out of 38 so <laughs> i know there's it's progress awful. being made <laughs> so <laughs> we used to be australia the lucky country but we're not so lucky right now so yeah, yeah. that's oh. how it's been playing out in australia it's so interesting because like our experience has been so different in that our lockdowns were not done very well, basically the entire pandemic. Basically, we just ended up in a state of constant lockdown. Mm. Last summer, there was a bit of reprieve, like they got it under control in the spring of 2020 in Ontario. And so throughout the summer, you could dine on a patio, you could see friends outside, but it was very much like you do not see anyone inside. And then as soon as the cold weather hit, um, things like immediately went downhill again. And Ontario basically was in lockdown from, I think it was, Katie, September? September. September till, when did it lift? Honestly, I don't even know anymore. It's all a fever dream. It le- <laughs> lifted in like May or something. Wow. But That's Amanda, so it was long. literally like eight or nine months of in our house, just not seeing anyone. <laughs> it just never stopped. Yeah. And so I think what happened is the government realized that they could not keep 
people in Ontario living this way for so long. And so at the start, the, the vaccine rollout was really bad, but they like ramped it up really, really fast. And so we went from having like no one vaccinated to now over 70% of, I know Ontarians, but I'm not sure about Canada, are vaccinated. And that happens like probably in three to four months, which we're super grateful for. And so that's like been a big change in our lives. Like now that we're vaccinated, um, we're dining outside. You can dine inside. Katie and I are both kind of nervous about that. So we don't do it. But that's the thing. And I think that's the difference is like, we haven't ever like since the start of the pandemic, we have never once gone back to like, no restrictions. Like even now there are restrictions and I expect there will continue to be like for the foreseeable future. Oh, we're so lucky here in Perth. I might not be able to go anywhere, but we we've been able to most of the time do anything to the point we we lock down the whole city, two million people, we lock down in a strict lockdown if there's one case to wow. contact trace that case, make sure it hasn't spread. Um and then, you know, it might be a week of lockdown and then we lift and have, you know, a normal life again. So it's been that that full on that just for one case we will do that. Yeah. Like I've seen some people criticize that approach, but I actually think it's better because it it saves you from being in lockdown all the time. I would much rather do a snap lockdown for one case than spend eight months in lockdown. Yeah, exactly. Well, of course, here in Australia recently, the, the New South Wales government tried to not lock down quickly. And unfortunately, now they've, they're in their sixth or must be going into the seventh week of lockdown. So it seems like when the case numbers are, are as low as they've been within Australia, that, that a quick, short, sharp lockdown actually has done the trick. Yeah. And I think the other difference is I don't know that our lockdowns are as strict as the Australian ones have been, because I think like the strictest state of lockdown we were ever in was that you were permitted to go grocery shopping and there were a couple other like as considered essential shopping you could do yeah. basically everything was closed except for grocery stores yeah and like literally if you went to walmart you weren't even allowed to buy things that weren't groceries yeah they would like rope off sections of the store take it out of this your cart this was very controversial they in took ontario it out of your cart. <laughs> people were upset um, <laughs> <laughs> and like you weren't meant to go to anyone's house. Yeah, we weren't allowed to go to anyone's house. It was um, stay home. You're allowed out you know, once a day to go essential shopping, to exercise for one hour max with people you live with. And that was it. Would anyone actually check on that? Like if say you went for a walk for an hour and 20 minutes. Would someone? I mean, okay. probably That's nobody good. would realize, but um, <laughs> certainly in my area, people seem just really compliant. And also because we had only, we had several, maybe four or five lockdowns, but all short, like a maximum of a week or so. So people can, you can do that, you know, for a week you can do that. I mean, I'm sure not not everybody's perfect, but on the on the whole, compliance is pretty high. So... Right now, Ontario is seeing around 200 cases per day getting reported, which is really good for our province, (laughs) which doesn't sound that great, like saying it out loud. But for us, that's really good because at the height of the pandemic, like earlier this year, we were seeing around 4,000 a day. That was when we were in our strictest state of lockdown. Um, What have the case numbers been like for you in Perth? Oh, like literally zero, 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 zero. So, I mean, we just don't have any... (laughs) 
So what we have, if you looked at the stats at the moment, I think we have a, you know, maybe seven or eight, but they're in hotel quarantine from people who've returned from overseas with exemptions. So whenever we get any community cases, usually they've come from like a breach of hotel quarantine somehow. So, but yeah, no, usually zero. And so we're absolutely all just up in arms at the Sydney cases and they today had 200 and I can't remember, 280 or 290 cases. That for us is horrific. But we went for months with zero in nearly the whole of Australia. So It's interesting how like what you can, what you consider to be extreme, like, and dangerous changes depending on like your situation because then we in Canada I'll admit like when there were 4,000 cases being reported every day I was like I don't even want to go to the grocery store I'm scared I bet and then you look at America and they have like way more than we do but people there seem like pretty okay with it like people are living their lives so it's just interesting how your threshold changes depending on your situation isn't it absolutely and yeah your whole (laughs) psychology around it just changes when you your 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 perception of risk changes depending on what situation Mm -hmm. you're living in so um, and I think for example also if you've got 70% vaccinated then a lot of the cases you're getting are probably not as bad whereas we've got you know, in the, the Sydney cases, you know, most people, the vast majority are not vaccinated. And so they're getting, you know, quite high hospitalization rates and stuff. So it's, um, mm-hmm. so it's scarier. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think the outlook is for Australia? Like, what is the plan moving forward? I'm assuming it's to ramp up vaccinations. Yes, um, <laughs> it is. Uh, I don't know. Our federal government has been, uh, been really appalling lately. So I don't have a lot of faith in them. They're talking a lot about improving things, but I just saw a graph tonight on Twitter that someone shared, and my state, Western Australia, is apparently, according to this, the the lowest, we have the lowest vaccination rates of the country, which is makes a lot of sense because we're so, we're, you know, we're isolated even within Australia and we have no cases, so there's not so much um, urgency. But at this rate, it'll be like mid next year or something when we're vaccinated, when we're all vaccinated, or when a significant proportion are vaccinated. So, I hope that 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 proves to be wrong, and we manage to ramp that up quicker. I think we will. It seems to me that people are really paying attention to it now. Uh, we're getting more supplies in, apparently. Yeah, because until then, we won't be opening any borders. So, the, well, the vaccination rate's still so low because that would be just a disaster. I will say for, on our end, the government gave us a timeline from when we would get vaccinated and it was far, way further out than it ended up being. So I think that they gave us a timeline that was longer so that they had like wiggle room and then they gave us a pleasant surprise by getting us vaccinated faster. So I'm hoping Australia is taking the same approach. (laughs) Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. (gasps) Yeah, because truly I like I cried when I got my second one because I really didn't think it was going to (laughs) happen. I was so hopeless, like I was so sad. (laughs) Yeah. I had my second one just last week and I I felt exactly the same. And because not long before that, there was all this talk about that Sydney would take our vaccines, our Pfizer vaccines, and take them to Sydney where it's needed more. And so I was really worried that my my second dose would get cancelled before I got to it and and that kind of stuff. So I was really, really pleased when I got to have it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how they roll them out there, but here, like for a long time, they were just doing clinics, like pop-up clinics and 
you would literally like I would follow accounts on Twitter to find out where the clinics were. Wow. So when we got our second one, I was working at home just and I would always have Twitter open because I was like, I'm just going to keep an eye all day, see if a clinic pops up and a clinic popped up that Lucas and I were eligible for. And I literally screamed like, there's a pop up. We have to go. We have to go. And we're messaging our managers and they're like, go, go, go. And we're like, where's the car? And Luke's mom has the car. So we're calling her and we were literally like running through the neighborhood because she was at someone's house to get the car and racing across the city. And we got to the pop up and they had three left and we got two of those. Oh, no way. I had no idea that that kind of thing was going on. Wow, that is stressful. Canada. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. No, well, we had like mass vaccination hubs. Mine's in my local shopping center. I booked in online and I rolled up and it was easy. So, yeah. Wow. You can do that. But we would have had to wait longer. This was a a way for us to get it faster, which is why we did it that way. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is stressful. It honestly felt like uh, we were joking that this is the Hunger Games. Like, we just have to get through the games and, like, get to the end. And once we have our second dose, like, we've won. So we felt so accomplished once we had our second dose. I can understand. (laughs) It's now been more than a year. Like you were saying, you haven't been on a plane since January 2020. For us, that's February 2020 since we've been on a plane. Um, How have you been coping with it? Uh, Not well. I I mean, (laughs) I appreciate that we have a very privileged life and that in the past I was really very lucky to be able to travel so frequently. But travel is really important to me. It's really, really good for me. It's good for my mental health. It's good for how I get through all the other parts of life. It's good for making me really productive with my work. It's good for making me creative. It's good for my confidence. It's good for my son's confidence. And all of this stuff has really been missing. And I know it's a privileged problem, but having experienced, you know, lots of travel for many, many years, it has been not a really nice thing to cope with. We've tried to have more travel within Western Australia, but that's been another issue because nobody's been able to leave our state. Um, People who usually would travel a lot internationally, for example, from Perth, Bali is just a short flight and a lot of people will travel to Bali, you know, more than once a year to have have a holiday. And so all of those people have got to go somewhere and they've been going somewhere in WA. And so things like the prices of everything um, have skyrocketed for all of the local travel and also that everything's been fully booked up. So you can't be kind of spontaneously booking anywhere. So I haven't even done as much local travel as I would have liked to. Yeah, it's been quite frustrating. So I've coped by reading a lot more and reading a lot about uh, other places, uh, diving deep into like learning more things. I've been doing some courses and stuff and Um, Being a bit more, I suppose, focused about how I spend my leisure time in a way that hopefully gives me some of those benefits of travel. It's not quite the same, but it's, it's the best substitute I can find. So, you know, it took me a while to figure out that that was going to help me. And other than that, 
what I have learned to do is to not get my hopes up. So we did, uh, you know, have over the over the course of that sort of eighteen months planned a few planned a few trips that haven't been able to happen. So, um, you know, a trip to the to the east coast to Sydney that didn't work out, or to New South Wales. A good friend of mine was meant to be here this month. We were going to go on a big walk. Uh, other Cape to Cape walk, which is you know in the south of Western Australia, we'd been we thought we were going to do it last September, and then we were planning and planning. We thought, oh yes, this will definitely work out. Of course, she's stuck in Sydney lockdown. Our borders are closed. So some of these things that you know we've really got our hopes up for, and they seemed like they would work. And so I really have learned not to get my hopes up, not to really plan too much in advance, and just take what comes and when it happens it happens because it is really disappointing when you think you know these things are going to happen and then they uh it doesn't so um i don't know if i'm coping particularly well but those are the coping strategies i've tried to work with so yeah what about you mm-hmm. yeah like similarly sorry i'm like going to cry it's actually really hard it is awful isn't it <laughs> yeah. I hear you. I actually, like, haven't talked with anyone about this, really. Mm. It's wild to think, like, how much you need it. It's almost like travel is, like, my therapy. It's really bad. I should probably find other things. So, yeah, I have not been coping well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you feel bad for saying that, don't you? Because, oh, you know, people just think, oh, travel. Well, that's just a lucky thing. You you know, such a privileged thing you can do. But it's really affected me. It's definitely affected my son. He's just really struggled without that that break from, like, school doesn't suit him. To be able to be away with me exploring the world, like, he always comes back. I know, you make me upset. <laughs> so confident <laughs> and so changed. And he hasn't had that chance for, you know, for the better part of two years. And it's just, oh, I get, you know, I find it so unfair, you know, like he's going to be in high school next year. We won't be able to travel as much even when we can travel again. And I feel, you know, we lost those two years of traveling with him that I'll never get back. So, yeah, I can't even like really pinpoint it. Honestly, it just feels like this sounds so extreme, but it just feels like this big part of my life and my identity has just been gone. And like, it feels so hopeless sometimes, like about whether I'll be able to have those experiences. Like sometimes when I I think about the experiences that like, especially Luke and I had around the world, like before the pandemic started, I feel almost like a sense of mourning. Like, I don't know if I'll ever have that experience again. So yeah, I'm not coping well. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I completely, completely, completely understand. And it's hard because like you say, I recognize how privileged we've been to have had access to travel for so much of our lives in the way that we did. So it does feel a little like inappropriate to just be so upset about it. But at the same time, like it has just been such a routine in my life for so long, like basically my entire adult life just so to have that gone has just been a hard adjustment. Yeah. And the uncertainty of not knowing when it when or how it can will come back, that doesn't make it any easier. <sighs> yeah. So coping, I don't know. I've just been like blogging a lot and making this podcast and therapy and really that's it. And trying to do local travel. And this is terrible to say, like I love Ontario. It's been amazing spending time exploring my own province. But I just miss the feeling of like stepping out of an airport in a new place and 
smelling the air and just feeling that excitement, that thrill of like, this is a new place that I don't know. So yeah, I just miss that experience of like being somewhere that's just completely different. Yeah, absolutely. I feel um, even to travel within Australia, this it's an amazing country with so many beautiful places and lots of different cultural experiences and Indigenous cultural experiences and so things that are different, but it's just not the same as leaving and going somewhere that's, that is foreign, where you don't speak the language and you don't know the food and you have to navigate all that and it's all so different and that's a good thing. You know, it makes that experience completely different to travelling within your own country and, and that's something I really, really miss. So what do you think the future will look like? We talked about this a little bit up at the top. Do you think like international travel will be doable to maybe individual countries just as long as we can work through the logistics? I guess so. You know, I mean, even here within Australia, there's, you know, long been talk of different travel bubbles like we did open up for a while to New Zealand. Well, New Zealand opened up to us for a while so people could travel to New Zealand. They keep closing it because we keep having cases. But, um, you know, been talk of, of travel bubbles to places like Singapore as well. So I guess that that will probably be more of the first steps from here. I mean, it's it's like the goalposts keep changing because there were so many plans in place around, you know, in different parts of the world, like the the Phuket sandbox and stuff like that in Thailand. and But then Delta came along and that's just made everything way more difficult than anyone had imagined. So being vaccinated isn't really enough. You know, you can still spread it, you know, and it's still quite dangerous. And But I guess over time, just maybe longer a longer time than we thought, you know, this these kinds of things will open up. And I imagine that it will be that more people will travel. I hope that more people will travel in a bit more of a slow travel approach and they'll just go to one destination, you know, one country for a longer time because that will be much easier than trying to country hop and go to lots of different places and just from a logistic point of view and the practical parts of that, uh, which I don't think is a bad thing. You know, I love it when you go just to one new country and spend as much time as, you know, two or three or four weeks there and really get, you know, a real deep dive into that. So I don't think that's a bad thing. So I hope slash think that that might be how things will happen. But, you know, who knows? (laughs) Crystal ball gazing. I definitely agree. I think we'll see people doing longer trips in one destination. And I also think we'll see people staying away from like busy city centers and places that were probably experiencing over tourism to a degree and going out more into like more rural areas where there's more space and it's a little safer to travel which I guess isn't a bad thing like that might be good for tourism I think the struggle for us is like because obviously Canadians most of us are vaccinated now so we're in a bit of a different position because like I could I could book a flight to somewhere else in the world and get on a plane and go there that's that is so weird because we me. totally can't. <laughs> I know you can't, but it's weird because I don't know that it's like that much of a better position to be in because I haven't done it because it just feels too overwhelming and complicated. And I feel like a little 
conflicted about it because I do know, and obviously I'm in these like blogging communities of travelers, a lot of people are doing it. They are planning their first international trips and they're doing it. And I have felt very hesitant to do it because it just feels, it just doesn't feel right yet to me. You know, like a lot of people in North America are are talking about how they're in like the post-pandemic phase. And I'm seeing all these articles like about post-pandemic travel. And I just think we're not in a state of post-pandemic at all. This is mid-pandemic. Yeah, like it's still very active. In some places in the world, it's more active than it's been. Exactly. And so it feels a little, I don't know, it just doesn't feel right to think like, oh, we're in the post-pandemic age, like let's just go back to traveling internationally. So yeah, I have felt conflicted about it. Luke and I actually just booked a flight to New York City. So that will be our first, our first shot at it. And I'm already nervous for it. Oh, I bet, because it will be different and a little bit scary. But that seems like a good kind of first uh, first foray back out into the world. And we were motivated because our friend is going to be there. So that was the impetus for going. We'll be reconnecting with a friend, which will be nice. And we've thought a lot about like, okay, how can we be responsible in like choosing a place to go? And New York feels like a good choice because they're kind of in the same position as we are in Toronto right now in terms of case numbers and vaccinations. They actually just introduced that you'll need to show proof of vaccination to dine inside or do any indoor activity. So we're totally fine doing that. It'll be interesting. (laughs) But it sounds like a good, like, if I was in your position, I think that's the kind of thing I would do too, so. I guess it'd be kind of the same as you going to New Zealand. I was just going to say exactly that, yeah, yeah, which I would feel comfortable about if I was allowed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I hope they let you guys back in soon. (laughs) Do you know what? Actually, I haven't double-checked this. I think it's possible that they haven't closed the border to Western Australians. I honestly don't know. Because we can't, it's this, you really can't fly direct there. You have to fly through Sydney or Melbourne. And so I haven't even bothered. It's just always, see, right now, everything seems that things get cancelled so easily. It's not even worth checking. So Yeah, and that's the other fear, right? Because we've booked this trip to New York, but I still think like it might not happen. And I just think to myself, mm, the case numbers could go up like they did last September and we could lock down again and Canada could, Canada could bar us from traveling again or the US might say they don't want us entering the country or we might just look at the numbers and decide we're not comfortable going to New York right now. It could literally boil down to that. So it just feels like nothing is certain like you were saying. It's a shame, isn't it? You can't really anticipate it the way we used to. You can't just sort of have that pure excitement and you know, in the lead up to travel, which is sometimes almost as much fun as actually going. And you've just got to have this, yeah, in the back of your mind, probably won't happen, maybe won't happen. I don't know what will happen. Yeah, it's really hard. And we're also not like planning anything in New York because we don't know what we'll be able to do because by then it could be completely different. There may be restrictions about certain things. So who knows? I was going to say this was actually the first time in my life. This is a big adulting moment, I realize, but I used to never book like cancellation insurance or anything on flights. I would just be like, oh, I can for sure take this flight. Like, it's not going to be a problem. And this was the first time that I was like, okay, we better insure these flights because they were expensive. And if we can't go, then we'll want that money back. The first time I've ever done that. Oh, I hear you. 
I've never read all the cancellation policies on things before, but now even if I'm just booking like for a local holiday here, uh, I'm always uh, checking or I've actually, I think every trip we've taken in WA, I have emailed them specifically to ask what their cancellation policy is because, you know, we've had these snap lockdowns and, you know, I don't want to lose all that money that, you know, it's not even that much money, but still for me, it's money that I don't really want to lose if I, uh, if I don't have to. And I never used to care about that kind of stuff. Yeah, so beyond sort of the practicalities of travel, but how do you think travel will change or do you think travel will change from a sustainable or responsible perspective? Do you think like the average traveler is thinking more in those terms than perhaps they did before? Look, I hope so and I want to think so. I think some people will just think, oh my goodness, well, now I'm going to go out and do all the traveling I've always wanted to do because what if I never get the chance again? So I think not everyone will will travel differently or they won't travel better. They might travel quote unquote worse because they just want to make the most of it because they don't know what could happen. Because until now, we never, never occurred to us that travel could get taken away from us. But I do hope, and I think you know, from like chatting with my podcast listeners and stuff, I really do think that more and more people will be paying attention to traveling more sustainably and responsibly and, you know, focusing more on, you know, giving back to communities appropriately and thinking about over-tourism. I think probably a lot of travel will be more expensive as well. And that will make people kind of pause and think, oh, well, do I actually need to, you know, fly to Paris for two nights and then, and that's it? Or should I actually save that time and money and spend a month in France later in the next year? You know, that kind of thing. I think the travel had got almost too cheap and too flexible in a lot of situations, which was, you know, really fun, but not really good for sustainability. So, so that might kind of play into that as well, I hope. I don't know. It's really like as I see things opening up in the Northern Hemisphere and I see people traveling, I haven't seen as much kind of thoughtfulness as I would like to see. But it also is hard to tell right now because the possibilities are sort of limited and things are changing all the time. So I guess it's too early to really say. But I hope that at least a proportion of travelers have kind of learnt from this time that, yeah, well, I want to travel more sustainably and more responsibly. So fingers crossed. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I'd say I'm pretty aligned with you. What you were describing about people like sort of coming back to travel with a vengeance, like I need to make up for this lost time. I've seen the term thrown around revenge travel. And Katie and I were talking about that. And like, it's just this idea that you have this like urge to travel like a lot after lockdown. But I think it very quickly goes into this sort of negative territory where it's like, okay, but what are we doing? Like, what are we sacrificing to make that a possibility? Like revenge travel can very quickly become toxic, I think, because you're reverting back to the old ways of just like traveling with a very self-centered perspective. That's all about just like getting you those experiences that you've missed out on. Yeah, like I do think on an individual level, maybe more people are thinking about returning to travel with more commitment to responsibility and sustainability. I think some people might be kind of pushed into it just because it's the world now. And I think like I'm noticing like within travel and tourism, more sort of small businesses are talking actively about it. And I think that signals a more like collective shift. 
um, especially amongst like small businesses and actual individual travelers. I worry more about corporate entities like airlines and hotel chains. They just want to make back the money that they've yeah, lost they just over want the last two years. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so I don't know that we'll see the kind of corporate commitment that we would really need for big change. I would hope we would see it, but I'm I'm a skeptic. On I'm that skeptical end. about that too, unfortunately. Yeah, I have seen quite a few um, tourism boards who seem to be um, really thinking hard about building back better. Like I was speaking with a few people in New Zealand about um, some of the. I think there's three or four kind of uh, tourism regions there who have really focused on kind of upskilling everyone at, in terms of regenerative travel with some really kind of big campaigns and and big um, training budgets and stuff. And that kind of stuff really does make me kind of optimistic for the for the future. So who knows? But I hope that things improve. It's a real battle between the bottom line of the dollars and the bottom line of, you know, like human survival. So yeah. <laughs> which wins? And that's the other thing I've been thinking about, like on the human survival front, like – Tourism for many countries is an economic need, and many of those countries have missed out on that for the last two years. And so I could also see, you know, in some regions of the world, them just, and it's really scary too, like some countries or regions opening up, not because they're ready to, but because they literally need the tourism. Um, at, like in this corner of the world, Mexico has been sort of, the example of that where they basically never lock down they continue to let tourists in and it's really because they need the tourism and as a result you're sacrificing the safety and the health of people and so that's sort of a scary line to walk I think because I it would be better to see regions stay shut for as long as they need to it kind of like uncovers the the inequity when it boils down to it around the world. It really that, does, um, doesn't it? It really highlights that at a yeah, I know I saw a lot of that in um in some of the African countries that brought back tourists very early and then you would hear really sad stories about the tourists bringing covid into regions that hadn't had any and I was thinking, oh, like it's such a it is only all about the dollars then and wouldn't it have been better if we'd been able to support those countries to stay COVID free and, you know, given them some more financial support to get through that rather than taking our um, our first world COVID there and spreading it. And yeah, those kind of situations really made me sad to see. So, yeah. Well, I don't know. Like you say, I think it might be too early to know too, because most people aren't traveling yet. And so it's hard to say. I think you're right. I think it will take... Uh, yeah, at least another couple of years to see the the real results of how travel has changed because we have to get through the figuring out how to travel again part and then settle into kind of some new norms, I guess, and uh, that'll take a little bit longer. It, all of this is taking a lot longer than we ever thought, I think. It is. I laugh sometimes at how naive Luke and I were in March 2020 when we legitimately thought, oh, we're just going to work from home for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> we thought our trip to India would still happen. <laughs> it did not. <laughs> yeah, no, I had, what, three book, three trips booked last year. And, and, you know, each of them I thought, 
for a while. That'll still happen. That'll still happen. I mean, I really (laughs) thought my friend's trip, you know, just from the other side of Australia to here this month, I thought that would definitely happen. But even that, no. So I give up. (laughs) I have to say, like, that is really, that is next level. They have not done that in Canada. Like, you could still fly across the country, even at the height of the pandemic. That is really rough. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, we've had a lot of border closure time, so... Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it is tough. You know, I've got a lot of good friends on the East Coast and to not see them for this long, it's really unusual. So this particular friend of mine who's in Sydney, a really good friend, and she had a a gig up in the north of WA in Broome. So she was flying via Perth. She was going to be in the airport for like two and a half hours. And so I went down to the airport and we caught up. And <laughs> like, so that's it. In these two years, I've been able to see her for two hours and it was wonderful. But like, how awful is that, that that's our only chance? So, and I'm so glad I took that chance to do it because otherwise, you know, goodness knows how long until I'll see her now. So. Wow. I really hope, I really hope things improve quickly. I like... I'm sure they'll ramp up the vaccines. And I'm assuming like once vaccinations have ramped up, there will be less border restrictions. Yeah, that's what they're saying. And that's the kind of messaging they're using now to encourage people to take up vaccinations faster. So, you know, a lot of them, a lot of the reason is that there haven't been enough, there hasn't been enough um, out there for people to take, but to take up. But yeah, I, I think give us a couple of months and things will look a lot different, I hope. All right. So to wrap up. Are there travel lessons that you feel you've learned from the pandemic so far? Uh, I mean, I feel like I've le- I've spent my life learning lessons from travel and now I've learned the lessons from not traveling. And it's really just kind of what we talked about a bit earlier that travel is so important and travel teaches all of us so much and we really, really need to do it. So, uh, but it's given me the pause to think, okay, you know, I used to really focus on how travel was was life-changing for lots of, you know, for all of us individually. But it's not just that. It's about how people who have had their lives changed can then help others. And I think that that's, um, you know, that's a, an important way of frame or, you know, kind of reframe for me to think about it. Yeah. And I guess the only other thing is what I have learned from pandemic times is the importance of people, the importance of people not just in my local area, but perhaps even more so in other parts of Australia and other parts of the world. Like last year, we spent, when Australia was in like serious lockdown for, you know, those few months, uh, I spent a lot of Friday nights on Zoom drinks with my fellow travel writers from around Australia and being able to connect more deeply with those people in a way that funnily enough was a little bit more deep than when we would normally catch up you know, in person around, you know, at conferences and stuff, that was quite telling, I thought. And so I uh, I feel like I feel like the pandemic has helped me see who are my really good friends and the ones I really, really want to be able to spend more time with wherever they are in the world and however I spend time with them. And I think that's been, you know, quite a valuable lesson about uh, about these times. Ironically, the times when I couldn't spend time with my friends is the time I've realized, you know, how close we are and and who I really want to hang out with. I have definitely found that as well. It's interesting how my social circle kind of dwindled down into the core people. And some of the people that ended up in the core group of people that I actively am communicating with are people that like I probably wouldn't have expected. I feel that my personal relationships with people have definitely strengthened throughout this. 
like on a personal level, I've definitely learned from the pandemic that my travel bug is not just a travel bug. I think my whole life, people have always been like, oh, you know, after your 20s, like you'll start to ramp down, like you won't care to travel so much. You'll have other priorities. Oh, you're going to want to have a kid. You know, people just say this to me all the time. And I've just really realized like, no, I think I will always be this way. I really do. I don't think it's going to go away. It's it not just go a bug. Away. It's just me. <laughs> yeah. I had the kid. It didn't make the travel bug go away. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, it made it worse because it makes me want to give him all of those same experiences too. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it does. I don't think in people like us, I don't think it ever goes away. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely reinforced that. Yeah. And it's just like really for me pointed out inequity, like not just around the world, but also in my own community. I think the pandemic has really reinforced that. I've been so privileged to be amongst people who have like largely been untouched by the pandemic. Like a lot of people have experienced economic hardship in Canada because of it. But most people I know have been pretty sheltered and we've all been able to work from home. And I mean, it's terrible to say, but you don't really notice that until you're faced with a crisis like this. Yeah, I've spent a lot of the pandemic thinking about that, just thinking about the inequity in my own communities and then with the vaccine rollout, just thinking about it on a global scale, like from the very start of the vaccine rollout, I remember thinking like, yeah, like all of the, the quote unquote first world countries, we're all buying them up. But what does this mean for everyone else? This pandemic isn't over until like everyone is vaccinated. And yeah, I spent a lot of time thinking about that and thinking about why that isn't more of a concern or discussion amongst especially governments because like it's also like it's not just an ethics thing like it's an incentive for the globe because until we vaccinate everyone we will have more deltas showing up yeah yeah it's it's surprising to me too like as a quick example here in western australia one of the biggest threats of um, of getting COVID back into our community has actually been from ships, trade ships, and they often stop in Indonesia on the way. And between Indonesia and here, they've often now ended up having crew members who have developed COVID. And then they get down to us and they're very ill and they need to go to hospital. And then obviously that's the risk of having COVID in our community from there. And so absolutely, like, why isn't our government paying much more attention to helping Indonesians get vaccinated so that that doesn't happen? You know, even if you want to be selfish and economic about it, it seems like, you know, there's still, still a incentive. very good reason to do it. So, mm -hmm, I mean, exactly. in Australia's case, we haven't even managed to do it very well for ourselves. So perhaps that's the answer to my question. But still, it seems... I mean, I think ethically we should be helping everyone, but even if you go beyond ethics, like you say, like they still, I still don't understand. You know, if we ran the world, I mean, imagine how much better it would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And aside from that, I think like I was saying earlier, this sort of break from travel has meant I have a lot more time to think about how I've traveled in the past and how I want to travel in the future. I say this all the time on the show. I am like on a journey of learning making this show like I'm by no means like a perfect responsible traveler like the show is literally me trying to figure out how to be more responsible every episode is a lesson for me as well and I'm learning and so making the show like in the pandemic and also writing on my own blog and just taking a lot of time to think about my past travels has been a really good sort of exercise for 
thinking about the future. And that's kind of good. Because, you know, like I used to be so go, 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 like, I know you're the same. I would just, I would book a trip, come back, book the next trip. It was just like a constant cycle. And there wasn't a lot of time for reflection in there. And I do think that's an important aspect of trying to travel responsibly and thoughtfully. And so, yeah, being forced to break has not been nice, but I mean, that's one benefit. <laughs> yeah, we've got to find <laughs> the reflection time. <laughs> I think that's true. That reflection time is super important. And I definitely never kind of built enough of that in to my life. It's, it's definitely a useful thing. Like I genuinely think that in the future, I will travel less frequently because, of it, you know, partly because of that. I can kind of, I don't know, eke out the value of a trip more, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, the anticipation and the learning beforehand and then that reflection time afterwards and and still feel like I'm being fulfilled by it. You know, just I think mm-hmm. there's, yeah, there's a lot more to dive into than than what I have done in the past. So yeah, and it's yeah. a pretty good lesson to learn, I guess. And I think too, it's funny, I was talking with Zach about this. He's been on our show twice now. Three times? Zach has been on the show three times. So he and I were talking about how he was in uh, Mexico City right before lockdown started in Canada. And he told me, I was riding on a tour bus, like around the city, looking at my phone, seeing all these notifications and realizing I'm going to go home to lockdown. This is probably the last time I'm traveling in a really long time. And he told me that because of that, he kind of soaked in the experience in a way that he hadn't before. And now thinking back, I wish that I'd had that foresight the last time I was traveling. Me too. But since I didn't, (laughs) I'm going to be so grateful when I get to travel again. And kind of like you're saying, I think... I may travel less and just put more time and appreciation into the travel that I get to do as a result, because I do think, and this is one of the self-reflections that I've had, because travel was such a frequent part of my life, I think there were moments in which I kind of undervalued the experience. It just became my life. It wasn't so much something that I should reflect on and be grateful for. And now it's not that. Now it feels like a privilege again, which is probably a good thing. Well, Amanda, it's been so nice to chat with you. It's been fabulous. Thank you. It's so good to talk with someone so like-minded and to really hash these things out and to hear the opposite experiences, you know, between Canada and Australia is fascinating. So pros and cons in each. (laughs) Yes. So where can people find you if they'd like to listen? Ah, so you can find the Thoughtful Travel podcast in any podcast app or go to notaballerina.com and that's where you'll find the show notes. I'll Pack My Bags is written and hosted by me, Erin Hines, and produced by Katie Lohr. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave a review on your podcast app or show us your love on Patreon. Pledging $5 a month or more directly supports the making of this show. The link to our Patreon is in the show notes. That's all for now, Alpaca Pals. I'll talk to you again soon when we launch season four officially on October 6th.